my hope, my goal this morning for us is, is to, uh, to kind of tie a bow, tie a ribbon around our Advent series that we have been in for these last weeks. Kind of bring some of those things together and to finish it off here today on this New Year's Day. So we're going to review a little bit to get started this morning. Some of us maybe have forgotten a little bit about what we talked about um, uh, five weeks ago, or maybe you weren't with us, and so in order for, to bring all of this together, we're going to just review a little bit from what we did that day. We started on our Advent series, this series on the root of Jesse, the, the sprig that comes from the stump of Jesse. We started that day really talking about dendrochronology, if you remember. Dendrochronology is the study of of trees and the rings of trees and trying to piece together um, the story of history that comes from the rings of trees. That That trees or stumps really are what we talked about, that they tell a story. And there is a story that can be told, really, from just looking at the stump and seeing the rings in the stump. And the story that we want to talk about today is, is really the story of all of history. And what we talked about, which comes from Isaiah chapter 10, if you remember, what we talked about was, was a, a, a metaphor, but really a story of the prophet Isaiah taking us through a, a tour, really, of the forest of history. Only the forest of kingdoms, the forest of history, was not a was not a forest of trees, but instead was a was an entire forest of stumps. As far as you can see, there were stumps, some big stumps, some smaller stumps. But everywhere you looked were stumps, dead trees. And Isaiah, if you remember that day, Isaiah walked us around and began to show us some of the stumps and began to point them out and began to even give them names. And, and Isaiah told us about the, the, the really big stump. It was a powerful tree when it existed. It was the, the tree of the Egyptians. They were a huge, powerful, historical nation. But now they were just a stump. And he wandered us around the forest and he showed us, he showed us the, the, the tree of the Amalekites and the tree of the Jebusites, the tree of the Philistines, the, the tree that was, it was freshly cut down or it was about to be cut down, the tree of the Assyrians. That's what Isaiah talks about in chapter 10. But none of them were trees. All of them were stumps, dead, lifeless stumps. And if you remember Isaiah, as I told the story that day, Isaiah took us then to another part of the forest and there were some trees that were growing there. Some of them were, were really large. They were, they were becoming gigantic. And he said, we, we see these trees and, and the, and the names on these trees are, are, are the Babylonians and the Romans and, and the Americans. And he said, all of these trees, they look really big. We, we, we're wondering what's going to happen. They look like they're, they're never going to come down. But he says, as he points to the forest of stumps, He says, history is clear. Every single ruler, every single kingdom in the end has ended not as a tree, but as a dead and lifeless stump. And he says, if that is any indication, these other trees, the Babylonians, the Romans, they will end 
as stumps as well, Isaiah tells us on that day. And then Isaiah takes us to another part of the the forest. Again, it's still just stumps, dead and lifeless stumps. There are no trees, but he begins to point to those and he has names for them as well. And he says, this this stump, this was, was Joseph. Joseph was a strong leader for for the Israelites, or even before they were Israelites. And we thought there was hope there, but it's a stump. And Jacob is a stump, and Abraham is a stump. And then he begins to talk about all the kings that, that they had, and, and, the, and the judges that they had, and, and, and he begins to name them. And, and all of them provided hope for a little while. But in the end, they were stumps. There was no hope. Everything was dead and lifeless. And then, Isaiah takes us to another spot. And he says, there's one stump that we want to look at this morning. The stump of Jesse. It's different than all of the others. It's so different than anything else we have in this forest. Every other stump is dead and lifeless. There's no hope of any recovery, but this stump, the stump of Jesse, he says in the first part of chapter 11 in the book of Isaiah. There's a a sprout. There's a sprig. There is life where there only was death before. This stump too was dead and lifeless, but now something has changed. There's a, a sprig. There's a sprout. There's a tiny bit of life that's coming from this stump of Jesse. You know Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. He was the son of Obed, who was the son of Ruth and Boaz, one of the stories that we talked about in the Old Testament during this Advent season. And Isaiah says, let me tell you about this sprig, about this sprout, Let me tell you about this life that comes from the stump of Jesse. And this, we read it if you want to follow along in Isaiah chapter 11, in verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteous shall be the belt of his waist and the faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The wean child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day... The root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Isaiah, as he walks us through that forest of stumps, 
brings us to that sprig that comes forth from the stump of Jesse. And he says, this is so different. All of these other rulers, all of these other kingdoms have been mowed down. They've been brought down by the axe of the majestic one. But this one is different. There's life here. And the promise of that life, he says, is peace. The promise of that life is hope. The promise of that life is that there is going to be someone who comes from death and provides life. And it's going to be so different than what we know now. It's going to be so different than what we've experienced to this point. And we looked at Isaiah chapter 53, if you want to flip over there. Isaiah continues to talk about this sprig of Jesse, this sprout that comes from this lifeless stump. And he says, he grew before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah says there is hope that's to come. Someone is going to come. A Messiah is going to come. A rescuer is going to come. And our sin will be on him. And he will be our hope. Isaiah would say to us, as he gave us that tour, he would say, we have to live in the promise of the Messiah. We have to live in the promise of the blessing that he gave to Abraham, as Pastor Ron mentioned this morning, and as we talked about during this Advent series. We have to live in the promise of life that he gave to Noah, the promise of rescue that he gave to Noah and his family in the ark. It's hanging on the tree, that picture that we talked about during Advent. We have to live, Isaiah would say, in the promise of the redemption that he gave to Ruth that we talked about through our Advent series. We have to live in the promise of mercy in the midst of wrath that he gave to the prophet Habakkuk that we talked about last week. Isaiah would say our hope is that our faith in those promises, that our remembering those promises, our believing in those promises, Isaiah would say, our faith in those promises, God says, will be credited, credited to us as righteousness. That is our hope. So we battle through our sin and we feel the guilt and the shame of our sin. Our hope is in the promised Messiah. And if we were there on that tour with Isaiah, as he walked us through those promises and walked us through this whole history of dead, lifeless stumps and then shows us the sprig of Jesse, we would want to say to Isaiah, the promise that your 
resting on, the promise that you're hoping on, the one that you hope is to come, he did. His name is Jesus. He did come. He was born in Bethlehem in a manger. His birth was lit up in the sky with a star and shepherds came and angels came from heaven and they sang about him. Wise men traveled from miles and miles away to come and to worship him. He was born and he lived and he grew in wisdom and stature and he lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life. He got 12 apostles, then he trained them and taught them for three years. And then, and then, the authorities came and they took him and they put him through a mock trial and they beat him and they hung him on a cross and he died. But it wasn't the end. He didn't just die. But three days later, he came back to life and he defeated death and he defeated sin. His name is Jesus, the Messiah that you've hoped for, Isaiah. His name is Jesus. You know the promise, we would say to Isaiah, but we know the person. It was Jesus. He's the Messiah. And as I think through that, that story, I can only imagine that Isaiah would hear that and, and become so excited that the promise had finally come to fruition, that the one he had hoped for, the rescuer, the redeemer, that they had hoped for and waited for and put their faith in so that God might rescue them, that he would be overjoyed. And I can only imagine that Isaiah would say to us, oh, how fortunate you are. That you live in a time and an era where sin has finally been taken care of. Where peace reigns like it did in the Garden of Eden. Where you no longer have to battle sin and the desires of your flesh, but all of that is cared for and taken, taken away. And everything is perfect. I think that's what Isaiah would anticipate when the Messiah would come. I think that would be what he would be longing for. That was the picture I think he had in his mind. When the rescuer would come, redemption would be complete. So I would think, as we told him about Jesus and said that the the, the promise that you have, he has a name, his name is Jesus. He came, he lived, he died, he, he raised from the dead. I think Isaiah would say, you're so fortunate that everything is perfect. And we would have to say, well, it's not quite like that. I know your prophecy in chapter 11 was that the lion would lay down with the lamb and the children would play with the snakes because peace reigned throughout. But it's not exactly that way for us. Jesus did come. He did live a sin-free, a righteous life. He was killed for our sins. He did take our place and he took our punishment. He took the wrath that was reserved for us. He died on the cross and he defeated death by being raised from the dead. Three days later, he won victory. He came back. He appeared to the disciples. He even taught a bit. But then, he ascended into heaven. And he left earth. And he went back to heaven, to the Father, 
But he gave us some promises, I think we would say. He gave us some promises. He gave us a promise in John chapter 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Jesus said, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus said, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be gone. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. Isaiah trusted in those promises of the Old Testament. And Jesus gives us additional promises in the New Testament to rest on. And not just promises. He gives it. He gives us also, God gives us also in the New Testament, the seal of the Holy Spirit to bond those promises to us, to help us to understand them, to better live them. Let's just look this morning at a couple of promises that we find in the New Testament about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we read this as we wait in hopeful expectation. We now see in a mirror dimly, but one day we'll see face to face. I know in part, Paul said, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I think what we would say to Isaiah if we were on that tour with him was, was Jesus did come. The rescuer did come. The redeemer did come. But where we are now, today, in 2017, right here, we still don't see perfectly. We still don't see entirely clearly. It's still a little bit dim. The promises are still there. Our hope of redemption is still there, but not. it's not perfect. It's not exactly like what you prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11. It's not exactly... What you prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, it's not exactly what you prophesied in, in, in chapter 9. It's a little bit dim. We see it a little clearer than you did, but it's still a little dim. Peter says it this way. He says, don't overlook this one fact, he says in Second Peter chapter 3. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he's patient towards us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And, he says a little later, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That we have a promise in the New Testament. We have a promise in Hebrews chapter 13. Writer of Hebrews says, for we have here no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. We're waiting for another city. We're waiting for all of the peace that was promised in Isaiah. Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes this, We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this tent we groan, we long to put, our, to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, we're being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that 
what this mortal, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that we that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That we still wait in expectant hope. We still wait in faith, just as Isaiah did, just as all of those saints of the Old Testament waited in faith and it was credited to them as righteousness. We wait even in these post-cross times. in hope that our faith will be credited to us as righteousness. You saw it on the screen earlier this morning in 2 Timothy. Paul writes, There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing to all of us who have trusted and rested in the promises of Scripture, on that day, that one day, that last day, when sin will finally be completely defeated and gone and peace will reign on that day, there's a crown of righteousness for all who believe. That's how all of Scripture closes in Revelation chapter 22. John is talking about that last day. This is where all of our our scriptures end. In chapter 22, Jesus says in verse 16, I, Jesus, I have sent my angel to testify to you and that these things for the churches, I am the root and I am the descendant of David. I'm I'm that sprout, I'm that sprig that came from the stump of Jesse. I'm that life that came from a dead, lifeless stump. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Then it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price, it says. And then a little later it says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. There is going to be one day where it all comes together. The promises that Isaiah was hoping in and trusting in, the promises that we read through all of the New Testament, there is one day where everything will be perfect. Jesus will reign. Sin will be defeated. For all of those who have trusted and rested in the Redeemer in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ, peace will reign. One day, that will ultimately be the case. And until then, we will trust and rest and cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come.
come, Lord Jesus, come. That's what this table represents for us this morning. The Aramaic word for that was Maranatha, if you know that word. Come, Lord Jesus, we long for you to come. We long for you to establish your kingdom here on earth. We want that day. And that's where we come this morning. We want that day. And until then, we're going to trust that you did fulfill those Old Testament promises and you did send a Messiah and you did send a Redeemer and you did send a Rescuer. His name was Jesus. He took our place. He took our sin. He took our punishment so that we might have life, so that we might have righteousness. And we will anticipate his return. Some are going to come this morning and we're going to share communion together. If you are not a part of our church regularly, we want you to know that you are welcome to take communion. There's an invitation in your bulletin. It's also on the screen there behind me. If you can live under that invitation, we would love to have you partake in communion with us. If this morning, though, if you if you don't understand that invitation or you are just uncomfortable with the process of how we share communion here together, we would invite you just to pass the plates as they go by. You do not need to feel like you have to take communion with us this morning. We would love to have you be a part of that. But please feel comfortable to do what is best for you. We're going to have some men that are going to come and help me to serve. I invite them to come now. We're going to share in communion together. Matthew's going to lead us. We're going to sing together as we do it. This represents the body of Jesus Christ, the one that Isaiah hoped would come, the one that we know did come and bore the weight of our sin on his body. We're going to take it, we're going to hold it, and we'll eat together. Save in the 
death of Christ, my God. All the vain things that charm me sacrifice them to his blood promise became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that we might have life take and eat and be grateful This this morning represents the blood of Christ, the blood of the promise that was shed for us, that Isaiah hoped for, that we rejoice in. Hold it this morning. Take it with me. See from his head his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowing go down. Did there such love and sorrow? Compose so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were. Present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul.
It represents the blood of Jesus, of our Messiah, of the Rescuer and Redeemer. It represents the blood of the one that Isaiah hoped for and the one that we rest in. This represents the promise. And we will wait in hopeful expectation for that day when Jesus will return and everything will be cared for. Peace will reign. Sin will no longer be around. And we will rejoice with the King. Take and drink. God, we long for that day. And our prayer this morning is that Jesus would come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We long for you to come. But until then, we will have faith. We will hope. We will trust and rest in the promises, knowing that you are working all things together, God, for your glory, so that one day, so that one day you might be seen and declared as glorious. And we will celebrate in that moment. So help us, God. Cause us to continue to rest and have faith and trust in you. We pray this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.